We are in a series titled, The Great Questions of the New Testament. This is the second message in the series, and the question is in verse 31 of Romans 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, this little word, if, at the beginning of this question has thrown some folk off. The word if does not denote doubt, but it is rather a conclusion or an affirmation. If God is for us, then what do you have to worry about? What do you have to take care of if God be for you? It is an affirmation of all that Paul writes in this chapter. And we're going to ask you to keep your Bible open because we're going to go through what is against the Christian, which he lists, and then we're going to look at in the second part how we can know that God is for us also from the same chapter. It's an affirmation of fact. If you were to have Paul stand here today, I think what he would say to you is this. God is so evidently for us that nothing or no one can successfully be against us. When you look at it that way, ooh, it releases faith. It releases hope and courage God is so evidently for us that nothing or no one can successfully be against us. He wraps up the whole chapter with a tremendous series of questions. I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come What can separate us from the love of God? Can any of these? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, I know there are people here today who need to hear that. There are people here who need to know that. There are people who who are here who have been kicked to and fro by the devil and by others and by circumstances who have forgotten the power of this text. There are opposing forces against the Christian. They are all around us, but nothing can successfully overthrow God's child. That's what Paul is trying to get us to see. Now, there are other verses that give us facts, like Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. No weapon formed against you by the underworld, by anybody in this world, or anybody in the upper world. No weapon formed against you can prosper. This, he said, for the servants of the Lord. Jeremiah 1.19, they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. Why? For I am with thee, says the Lord, to deliver thee. Praise God. 
Then in 1 John 4, 4, one of my favorite texts, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then there is a great promise in Psalm number 118. It's the sixth verse. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. And then he follows it with a question. What can man do unto me? Oh, what thinking. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do when the Lord is on my side? Now, it may seem sometimes that somebody else is winning, not the Lord. But always it is important to recognize the necessity of waiting until the last chapter is written. God doesn't always show himself at the moment you think he should. But I can guarantee you this, he will show himself. He never fails. That is the point of this text. Now, let's look at the things that are against the Christian. Beginning in the very first verse of chapter 8, you get an inkling of why Paul comes up to such a great climax in this chapter. Circle the word condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. One of the things that is against the Christian is condemnation, which was your state apart from grace. But now that you've come to Christ, you are under grace. All of us live by the grace of God. We sang this morning, Amazing Grace. Now that's not an ant that lives in Kentucky. That's something that flows from God. Amazing grace. And it's for everybody. And it takes care of your first enemy, condemnation. How many of you have ever felt condemned? You felt that the devil is heaping upon you guilt and condemnation. Come on, raise your hand. You felt that. Sure. That's his trick. He tries to make you think you're no different. You're still the same. You've still got those desires. That's why Paul said, there is now, right now, no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. The only thing you have to be sure of is that you're in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is not anything above earth or beneath earth that can condemn you if you know Christ in your heart. That's the first thing you have to fight. It's your first enemy. Now, in the second verse, you are introduced to the second thing, sin. Circle the word sin. The law of sin and death. We are all afflicted by sin. We all have that malady. None is righteous. No, not one. We have all gone astray, according to Isaiah. There is not one of us that is righteous. So we all fight against sin. Since we last met, we've all been battling this matter of sin. What shall we do? What shall we not do? This whole matter of sin comes out of Genesis when man fell 
and the burden of sin came upon every man, and you're not going to get away from it until he who is perfect is come, and you become like he is. In the translation of the believer into God's heavenly kingdom, you won't have to worry about sin anymore. But until then, you have to deal with sin. That's what's against you. That's why church is so important. So that the word of faith will reach your heart, and you'll not live under the burden and condemnation of sin. Now, in verse number 8, there is another word that he introduces, which is one of your enemies. It's the flesh. Circle the word flesh. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, do you understand what that word implies? You are flesh and you are spirit. Paul said, the things that I would like to do, I don't do. The things of the Spirit. But the things that I know I shouldn't do, those are the things I find myself doing. That's his fleshly part. And who of us doesn't understand that battle? Who of us hasn't stood before some temptation and felt the raging fire of those two things, flesh and spirit. Now, whichever one you say sick them to is the one that wins. But we all battle it. We all fight it. And that we will do also until our translation. That is against you, your flesh. It battles every man. Our friend Dave Boyer was to be with us today. Dave Boyer is not with us because Dave Boyer was caught in the flesh. We discovered late this week that Brother Dave has been suffering from alcoholism for two years, something that God delivered him from years ago with his travel all by himself, hours alone, he has gone back into drinking and he was found in a stupor and we have worked with him and we got him back home and to a pastor who will work with him and a body of believers who will pray with him. And Dave sends his deep apologies and asks for his this church to pray, and I said, Dave, you're going to be back. We will have you back. You will come back. <laughs> and when his wife, June, was called, she said, oh, I'm so glad that it's been found. I've been telling him for two years that he can't continue this way. He's got to stop but he just couldn't seem to break loose of it. What is it? It's the flesh. It's real. And my heart goes out to a day Boyer. My heart goes out to anybody who can't seem to conquer some area of the flesh that drags them to the gutter and destroys everything that is good. Last night as I turned on Channel 42 for the patriotic celebration, there was Dave Boyer, and I was mad at the devil because he couldn't be here to share his gift with us today. 
and he won't be allowed to share his gift for some time in the church of Jesus Christ until he gets hold of this area of his life, the flesh. But he will if we pray and if he determines with all of his heart that he can conquer the flesh because it's against us. It's not for us. It's like those chocolate sundaes I like to talk about. They're not for you. They're against you. Oh, they look so good. You're trying to lose 20, 30 pounds. And there are those mangy pictures. Hooping, scooping, whooping dips of ice cream with chocolate running over the edges and a wafer stuck in the top with a cherry. Ah! How do you conquer it? The flesh. I was sitting down here in Judy's at lunch the other day with a friend, and I saw this massive banana split go by. I said, who in the world is getting that? And over in the corner was this 300-pound girl. I'm not kidding you. She must have been. And then a Coke came with it. I thought, oh, Lord, help her. But it's the flesh. Now, you, you put your thing in there, whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but I know we all battle it. We all have our tiger we're trying to get a hold of. It's the thing that's against the Christian. Oh, this thing comes ringing through the centuries from Paul. If God be for us, who can be against us? This thing of flesh can be conquered if we allow the reigning master to be in us. Then in verse 18, something we're all familiar with, circle the word sufferings. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Sufferings. We all are called upon to suffer. Not one is exempt. It's a thing that is against us because sometimes in our suffering we have a tendency to point our finger at God and blame God. It's not God's fault. It all came with the fall. With the sweat of your brow, Adam, you're going to labor. And Eve, you're going to give children, but it will be in pain and in sorrow. Suffering. Then as you move through the chapter to verse 21, you see corruption. The creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That's another thing that's against us. You see, we're all dying. We're dying all the time. We are mortals. We turn to the dust and the earth from whence we came. We all deal with corruption, but one of these days, the corruption is going to give way to incorruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. But until then, we fight corruption in many, many forms. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains or pangs together until now. The word pain, circle it. We all understand it. Pain, everyone knows what this means. 
It's a thing that works against us. It can be so strong we can't even pray. It can be so strong we lose our faith. So we have to deal with pain. But if God be for us, what can be against us? There's one more, and that's infirmity in verse 26. The word in the New King James is weaknesses, but it's translated infirmities. The Spirit helps our infirmities. It's something that is against us. The meaning is weakness. Some of you had to deal with it in order to get to church this morning. You got up and felt weak. You got up and felt, can I make it? Can I even take a step? Can I even get my clothes on? Weakness, infirmity, the thing that is against us. But if all these things are against us, and the devil himself is against us, you can write, God is for us over all of it, and be absolutely correct. God is for us. Though the enemy is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, moves through this earth, First Peter 5, 8, you can say, God is for me. God is for me. And though everything be assailed against me, you'll hear that story tonight in graphic detail. If everything is turned against you, and you have God, you have enough. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, some of you, because of condemnation, sin, flesh, sufferings, and all of this, makes war in your life. You think you maybe not, you maybe not even will make it into heaven. People have told me, I just don't even know if I'm going to make it. This battle is so rough. Well, just be encouraged with these lines. I dreamt death came the other night, and heaven's gate swung wide. An angel with a halo bright then ushered me inside. And there, to my astonishment, stood folks I judged and labeled as quite unfit, of little worth, and spiritually disabled. Indignant words rose to my lips, but never were set free, for every face showed stunned surprise. Not one expected me. Ha! We're all in the same boat. We're going to make it. We're going to get there in spite of everything the devil throws at us. We're going to make it. God is for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Well, those are some things we've got to fight. Now, how can we be assured that God is for us? There are four things in this chapter that cry out to us to grab hold of in these trying times. Number one... He has adopted us into his family. Think of it. Verses 14 through 17 are all about that. We are not orphans. We're family members. And the part I love the most is verse 17 where it says, We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Family members. What does that mean? Well, when you read those words, join heirs with Christ, everything that God gave to Christ, he says, is yours as well. You are a joint heir. You're considered as one of those who can receive all the blessings of the Father imparted to the Son. You are a joint heir of Christ. Now, if you can handle that without shouting something, you're amazing. 
because we don't deserve one bit of it, one smidgen of it. We don't deserve, but we have it because of his grace. We're a family member. You deserved an orphanage. You deserve to be an outcast, but he grafted us in. He brought us into the family circle until, according to the scripture, we can actually look up and pray, Abba, Father, which is translated, my Father. Think of that. My Father. My Father. See, I've been without one for 41 years. My dad died 41 years ago, July 3rd. I've been without a father all those years. I had to learn how to say, my father. I couldn't go to my father. I had to go to my father. And he's never failed me. He's never let me down. He said, you're part of my family. I'll never, I'll never forsake you. I'll never dissipate your faith. If you'll just come, I'll be there. And he always has been. Because I'm a family member. I'm a son. I'm an heir. And I'm a joint heir. And so are you. I love Revelation 22.4. I've tried to take this in more, more than once. It says, and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. And I got to thinking, man, oh man, my name in his book and his name in my head. What a deal. I get my name written down in heaven's book of life and he puts his name on my forehead. I walk around with the name of the family. If God be for us, who can be against us? We have our name in the book. We have his name in our forehead. It seems to me that we're on the winning team. Malachi 3.17 says that he's coming to make up his jewels. We're actually in the jewel business. We're becoming refined as jewels are refined by the fire. And we're going to come out like gold. Hallelujah. He's coming to make up his jewels. We're part of his family. Be encouraged by that. Secondly, we are in business with God. We have been called by God to serve to be in business with God, to share in the corporate business with our Father. How do you like that? Workers together with God. You're employed in the family business. The wages are fabulous if you wait long enough. The rewards are incredible. The bonus is unbelievable. If you have faith and don't let all of the enemies that we've talked about whip you and beat you. I love the story of the old bishop who was riding on a train to a speaking engagement when a lively salesman came on board and plopped down beside him. And sometimes those are the most unwelcome people when you want to rest and maybe collect your thoughts. People who want to talk. But this lively salesman said, I'm a traveling man, sir. That was big news. The bishop said, as he reflected that we're all pilgrims and sojourners, well, so am I. And the fellow said, I'm in the jewelry business. The bishop reflected that we are helping God to gather jewels, and he said, well, that's interesting. So am I. 
Well, that just ignited his fuse. He said, I'm in partnership with my father. And the bishop reflected and said, well, this proves even more interesting. So am I. And then he said, oh boy, am I ever anxious to get home and give a good report. And the bishop said, well, shake, brother, so am I. And that's absolutely the picture. We're going to stand before him to give a report, and may it be a good report. The ultimate blessing of being in business with God is that we're going to be with him someday. That's because we're part of the family. Third thing is he's given us his spirit. Now, don't take time to count. I've done it for you. But 20 times in this chapter, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 20 times. When you see that reference that much, you know there's a message there for you. In verse 9, it says he came to indwell us. In verse 10, he indwells us to impart life to us. 2 Peter 1.4 says we are partakers of the divine nature. In verses 11 and 23, his indwelling, the Spirit's indwelling, guarantees our resurrection. The Spirit, in verse 13... He's in us to emancipate us. In verse 14, he's our ever-present guide. He leads us according to the will of God. Verse number 14. People always ask, how do I know the will of God? Very simple. You just walk with the Lord. You don't live in the flesh. You live in the Spirit. He's your ever-present guide. He will lead you according to the will of God. You can't walk outside of the will of God if God's leading you. So simple. Why do we complicate it? Just get in step with God and you'll be in the will of God. I'm in the will of God today. I'll be in the will of God tomorrow and the next day and the next. As long as I have the ever-present guide with me, if I don't remove myself from him, he will be there and I'll be walking in the will of God. That's how life becomes meaningful and purposeful. Also, in verse 16, he gives us the assurance that we're really the Lord's. This is a great verse. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Nobody should have to say, would you tell me whether I'm a Christian or not? You know, if the Spirit is in you, he bears witness with your spirit that you're the child of God. Nobody has to tell me I'm a coal. I know I'm a coal. Nobody needs to tell you whether you're a Christian or not. You know it. If you have doubt, you're probably not. You need to surrender to Jesus Christ, every part of your life, every part of your being, so that you know you've passed from death unto life, and that his name, your name, has been written down in his book of life. This book says his spirit tells us so. And then in verse 26, he is our baptizer or our helper. We don't know how to pray as we are. We're going to be talking about this on Wednesday night. How the Holy Spirit helps us. Our baptizer. Our helper. The one who comes alongside to help us like an attorney. A go-between. He, the Spirit, is there to pray through us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There is a baptism of fire. There is a baptism of power for every believer. And you ought to take your inheritance. It's yours. Grab hold of it. He'll help you. And then there's one last reason in here for us to trust God and to know that he's for us, and that's in the 35th through the 39th verses. 
I call it, he's guaranteed our eternal security. Now, those last two words scare a lot of people. Some folks say there is certain, there is a certain church that has a doctrine of eternal security. Well, we do too. It's different, but the doctrine. I am eternally secure based on what this book says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God. Now, this is important to see. This is the difference. This is where we part company with some who say there is a doctrine of eternal security where once saved, always saved. We don't believe that. We don't believe the Bible backs that up. And this is one of the passages that helps us to illustrate it. Notice how Paul puts these words, nothing out here shall be able to separate me from the love of God. There's not one thing out here more powerful than what's in here. That's what he's saying. The devil, all of his imps, all of the things, all of the events, nothing, he said, can separate me from the love of God. I believe that. I'm eternally secure in that. But I can make a choice. Here is my biggest problem. Keeping myself, holding on, believing every day as I ought to believe. You see, I can by choice remove myself from the place of protection, from the place of power, and the place of security by a foolish choice that I make. You see, Saul did that in the Old Testament. He began to move away from the presence of God. The Spirit of God no longer worked in him. The giant Samson did that. The Spirit of God moved upon him, and then he moved away from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was still available, but Samson wasn't. Samson was busy chasing Delilah. Samson was busy doing his own thing. He moved away from the Spirit of God. But the Bible says not one thing out there can move me if I choose to remain rooted and grounded in God. Not one thing can touch me. If God be for us, who can be against us? You got it? The old song says, I've tried in vain a thousand ways my fears to quell and hopes to raise, but what I need, the Bible says, is Jesus, only Jesus. No devil of hell, no demon, absolutely nothing can separate me from the love of God. Now, friends, Jesus sent us his Holy Spirit to be our guide through these days of trial and difficulty. Jesus knows the way better than anybody else because he's already traveled it. What I want you to do this morning in closing this service is to put your hand back in his hand. Stop trying to lead yourself. You need him to lead you. I'm confident as I stand here this morning that some of you are trying to get through busy intersections of your life without your hand in his hand. 
You're trying to figure it out according to man. You're not reading the word. You're not into the services. You're not into what God is saying to the people of God who want to walk in faith. You're trying to do it yourself. You've got to stop that. And when you do, you can say as triumphantly as Paul, if God be for me, who can be against me? I was reading Gail Irwin's book. Gail used to write in Springfield. He's since taken a pastorate, but he's a unique person. And he was speaking one time 400 miles away from his family, and his wife decided that she would take the children in the car and drive to where he was for a few days so they could share the event. So she started out, and not far from their town, they came to one of the large cities, which did not have a bypass. They had to go through some intricate intersections and, and, and roads in order to get to the highway that would eventually lead them to their goal. And she would stop at a service station to get directions and totally get confused. She would stop at a policeman on the corner and ask directions and start, I totally get mixed up. Two hours of this, and she was none better. He finally stopped, desperation at a service station to try one more time, went through it, he gave her the same directions. He said, I've tried that, and it doesn't work. There was a man standing nearby, just a bystander at the service station who came over and said, Ma'am, I've been listening to your conversation. He said, That car, that red car over there is mine. I'm going to get in that car. You get in yours and you follow me and I'll take you out of this city. Oh, she was so relieved. She got in, got right on his bumper. And he went through these intersections, these very complex intersections that can be a part of major cities. And he went past one road and another sign and another intersection and road after road. And finally, six miles out of town, he stopped, came back to her window and said, Now, ma'am, that is the road. You just stick right on it. Don't get off of it. Just stay right on that road right there, and you'll get where you want to go. I put that down and I thought, Lord, that is so spiritual. That is your message to me. Here's the road. Get on it and don't get off of it. Who can lead us through the morass, through all of the intersections of life, through all of the vicissitudes, all of the difficulties, all of the temptations, all of the flesh, all of the suffering? Only Jesus can. And if you today will put your hand in his, you'll make it. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, just look at the last two words of the chapter. That's all I want to say in conclusion. The last two words of the chapter. What are they? Our Lord. There it is right there. You've got to make it personal. Our Lord. It's the summation of the entire text. He wants to be your Lord. And if he is, nothing can defeat you. I don't care how big you are, how small you are. You're not capable of yourself. But when you can say he's my Lord, and we together can say he's our Lord, we will not fail. If God be for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our 
Lord, have you got the message this morning? I've come with a burning heart to share it with you. Because some of you are floundering. You've got scabby knees. You're bleeding. He wants to beat you. And nothing can defeat you. Not one thing. He will not fail you. If you just make sure you've got Him in your heart and the Holy Spirit is living there with you. Bow with me in prayer now. Let's apply the Word. Let's take the Scripture and use it now to strengthen our legs and our walk. Father, in the holy name of Your Son, Jesus, we come as weak pilgrims on a journey, sometimes losing our way, sometimes stumbling and falling, miserably failing. But we get up because of this great question. If God be for us, who can be against us? There's not an answer that comes back. There's nobody that can be greater than you are. You are going to see us through. Increase our faith, O God. And then, Lord, there are some folk here who need to start the journey today by giving their life to Jesus. May they do it in these next few seconds, the biggest choice they will ever make. Amen. I want us to stand together, please.